Hello, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for being here with us today. Happy to be here. Is your summer off to a strong start? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's just finally summer, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. A little bit of a late start, but yes, we were having a good summer. Yes. Have you been able to golf? I know that's a passion of yours. A little bit. I I went last night with a friend and... um, you know, I thought to myself, by this time, the last couple of years, I've played a lot more golf than this year. Right. Just it was it was late with the weather we had this spring, but we will enjoy it while it lasts. Yes. Yeah. Our family likes to spend time at Lake Madison and we finally did that last weekend. And yes, usually we do it a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a little bit of a slower start to summer, but we're we're here now. We'll take it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, we, um, as we shared last week, we have a special summer announcement going on. Every week we look forward to answering medical questions from our listeners and to encourage your questions. Those of you who ask a question will be entered into a monthly drawing for your choice of one of Dr. Holmes' books, Life's Final Seasons, or A Picture of Health. Your question will remain anonymous, but be sure to provide your name and phone number when you call in your questions so we can contact the winner at the end of the month. There are wonderful people here at this radio station ready to write down your questions and deliver them to us here in the studio. So just to reiterate, when you call in with a question, your question will remain anonymous, but if you provide your name and phone number, we will add you to our summer monthly drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books. And as I walked into the radio station this morning, I was already handed a question, and I don't know that we got their name and phone number. So if that was you, (laughs) you could call back and get added to for that drawing list. Um, I think we will just go to our first break. I know we have a couple questions here already, but I want to give everyone a chance to call in, and it's nice to get those questions early in the show so we can get to all of them. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address and get your name entered into our monthly summer drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books. Again, that number is 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. We are living in a stressful time as we deal with the global pandemic. The following are some tips to help your emotional health. Fuel your body by eating a healthy, well-balanced diet and drinking plenty of water. Aim to get seven to eight hours of sleep each night. Exercise every day. Take deep breaths and stretch often. Avoid risky or destructive behaviors, such as abusing alcohol or drugs, excessive gambling, or ignoring public health recommendations. Spend time outside, such as going for a walk in a park, but follow social distancing guidelines. 
if you feel overwhelmed by the emotional pressures, reach out to family, friends, or your medical provider. This tip is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. As we announced before the break, during these summer months, if you call in with a question, you will be added to our monthly drawing for one of Dr. Holmes' books. So give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, we have a couple questions here. All right, let's do it. All right, so our first question has to do with COVID. Um, A woman called saying her son was diagnosed yesterday with COVID. Uh, She tested negative for it. Okay. How long before she can see him again? Okay. And how long should she not be going out? Yeah. So there's kind of two questions here. You're right. So um, I'm going to make a couple assumptions about this situation. I'm going to make an assumption that this caller was in contact with her son in the you know five to seven days before he was diagnosed yes if, mm-hmm. if that's not true then she wouldn't need to take any precautions herself um, assuming that's true generally so we're seeing we're seeing a fair bit of COVID in the community right now Laura the the vast majority of these are mild illnesses which may have to do with how this virus has you know ver- varied in mm-hmm. in its genetic makeup and also the fact that the vast majority of population has gotten some immunity either by vaccination or by prior infection or exposure. So we're seeing a lot of mild illness. There is, you know, certainly we still have risky populations and um, but smaller percentages of severe illness, which is, you know, a good thing. But we still need to think about it, be mindful of what we're doing. So here's what the CDC would say about the situation. So for the caller herself, they would recommend if she had close contact with someone in in the days before a COVID diagnosis that um, regardless of vaccination status that she probably test around day five from her, the last time she saw her son. Okay. okay. Um, the the tests are have tend to have more false negatives early with, yeah, just because it sometimes takes time for that virus to replicate in the body. So I would recommend that she kind of use caution despite the negative test and maybe retest at whatever day five again, not from his diagnosis, but from the last time she saw him okay. recently. Um, if that test is negative, she could probably probably proceed, you know, be mindful, but without specific precautions and of course, watch for symptoms. So if, if she develops symptoms, then um, test again and, and, you know, assume that that may be very well be COVID as well. On the part of the sun, current CDC isolation recommendations for people who test positive for COVID are that they should stay home and isolate for five days. This is regardless of vaccination status. So even a fully vaccinated person should stay home for five days. And then if they're still sick, meaning they've still had fever in the last 24 hours or are not sort of feeling better, then that might be extended. That isolation might be extended. Now, if they have mild symptoms or no symptoms, um, you know, some people are testing with no symptoms because of a prior exposure then after five days they could come out of isolation but would be asked to wear a mask um, when around others until the 10-day mark okay okay all right so and, so, and avoid travel so it sounds like days. um 
this woman should probably stay away from her son for five days, right? Yeah, five and days then, and then maybe mask. Um, yeah. But, you know, to, to if you want to be cautious or you don't want to do a masked visit 10 days. I don't know what the situation is. Yeah. And yeah. then you recommended um, she takes a test on day five since she was with her son. But during those right. um, five days, is she? If, what's the recommendations about going out? Yeah. I that? mean, I think, you know, that risk depends a little bit on her vaccination status, but there is still some risk. Again, if she had close contact, like the safest thing to do would be to sort of avoid risky contact with others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could even you could test daily. I mean, a lot of people have a bunch of home tests and that's OK, too. Um, but sure, for sure, test at day five and before you're you feel secure that you're not right. likely to be infected. Okay. We um, our son just had runny nose and was mm-hmm. coughing a little bit and we we're like oh boy is this allergies is this COVID whatever so we did a test the other day with with our 12 year old and he thought it was the coolest thing ever because right. it's the at-home kit yeah. and um kind of get to watch get to watch the little strip yep. turn color <laughs> he's like can we do this every day it's <laughs> like no so, <laughs> the science is cool yeah. yes <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's pretty i mean Tests are so accessible. Just the difference now compared to two years ago when we really didn't have the resources to test people unless the risk was high. Right. That has all changed a lot. So um, access to tests is easy. If you don't have any home tests, they're available at the pharmacy, but you can also, in most cases, call your local clinic and probably obtain testing if you need to. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grateful for that change, right? To yes. have such great access to to those. All right. We have questions. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, I'm great. just going to throw that out real quick again, that if you have a question that you want to give us, 605-692-1430, 605-692-1430, and we'll get you added to our drawing this summer for um, Dr. Holmes Books. So, uh, let's see. We have a number of questions here. Let's go ahead and look at why are some people more affected by mosquitoes and gnats? You know, we're starting to have that season. And I, I haven't even noticing in my front yard when I'm out watering my flowers. I don't think it's mosquitoes. I think it's gnats that yeah. are biting me. Is there a reason why some people are more affected? I'm Dr. sure Evans? there is. I'm not, I may not be able to fully answer that question. This is purely stuff that I've read aside from my medical training it probably there's probably some scent Mm -hmm. characteristics that have to do with that but I think I mean I I have read things that there probably is genetic component things out of our control that I think there's probably two things one are are you more attractive to the bugs they want to bite you more than the person next to you and two do you just react more heavily Mm. to a bite do you does your immune system come and release more histamine at the site of that bite which is maybe more of a kind of an allergic like phenomenon you know you get a well like it's a hot you know the kind of the same type of reaction um so there's probably multiple players uh, there deet is our friend so you know it's it, it you're right it's that time we we always have we haven't had a, any bad years recently of west nile virus but there are always cases of west nile virus which can in in a low percentage of cases be pretty devastating. So avoid, minimize your mosquito bites as much as you can this summer. And yeah, with the rain we've gotten, I wonder if we're going to start seeing more mosquitoes Mm -hmm. here in the coming weeks too. Right. Yeah. Okay. So wear that bug spray to try to avoid 
that. But yes, it is interesting how those bugs do seem to pick mm-hmm. certain people to. I'm one of those people. I get terrible yeah. bug bites. I think my kids are in for it too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. And then this question, Dr. Dr. Evans, actually came in last week, but okay. we didn't get a chance to address it last week. We ran out of time. Uh, the caller wanted to know about diet mm-hmm. and should sugar be avoided in your diet? The caller was 60 years old. Okay. So, I mean, I think diet is a, it's a really general discussion. Should sugar be avoided in your diet? Here's what I tell patients. I mean, I have conversations with patients every day about diet and people, you know, trying to lose weight and, and, and get healthier with diet and and lifestyle, which is excellent. I think my advice to people is always that you should do something that is well balanced and is something that is sustainable. Mm-hmm. The the thing that I think is really hard to see people go through and I think it's hard for a lot of people to go through is this the cycle of dieting. I'm holding up air quotes like I don't like diets. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't ever want to recommend a diet for my patients. I want to recommend healthy eating habits to my patients Um, because diets almost are never sustainable in the long term. And so what we see is people lose weight. So a great example is like a ketogenic diet, meaning people avoid carbohydrates and sugars entirely Mm -hmm. or for the most part. What we tend to see is people do lose weight with those, no doubt about it. But within a year or two year, almost all those people regain most of their weight back Mm. because it's just not it's not a sustainable most of us don't feel that great if we're not consuming some amount of carbo i mean carbohydrates are a normal part of a healthy diet right we eat fruits we eat grains and those are all carbohydrates so my this is all a much longer answer than you're looking for laura but the the my my general answer is pick something in your diet if you're if you're looking to improve your diet pick something that is like a low-hanging fruit and that you could cut down on or cut out and things would still be livable for you so for a lot of people i ask about do you drink soda do you drink anything that has sugar in it because Mm -hmm. certainly if you're drinking juice or something that's calorie containing that's something that is sort of an easy first thing to look at do you eat a lot of sweets could we do that once a week instead of every night or or whatever the case may be or what what is your snacking habits or what are your portion sizes if you're not a big snacker what are your portions looking like with your meals so pick one thing and focus on that and make it a habit it takes months for most people to do that Mm -hmm. and then once you've sort of conquered that habit maybe you look for something else and of course healthy exercise is a part of that Mm -hmm. and then i wrap that all up by counseling people that like a lot of people's goal is losing weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in medicine because sometimes weight does correlate with diseases. Mm-hmm. But the number on the scale does not tell me whether you've been successful always with the things that you're trying to do. Like a lot of people will work in routine exercise and they feel much better. And there are a lot of sort of less tangible Um, benefits to that than the number on the scale. So Mm -hmm. don't use that as your only marker of success. Like there are a lot of good reasons to change your habits. Um, And certainly weight loss is is great if we get there but it's it's not always that simple. And so I think, you know, sometimes being married to that number on the scale is harmful psychologically too. Right. So and everyone's a little different. So Mm -hmm. um, I think talking about your goals and just sort of setting some of those goals. Generally, you know, 
this question about sugar, I think in moderation, right? Mm -hmm. I always tell my my patients, like, are you never going to eat a piece of birthday cake for the rest of your life? No, of course not. That's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. We have to live our lives. Um, But, you know, are there things that you could cut down on and and reduce some of those simple sugars? We all could, right? Right. Yeah. And sugar, I feel like, is one of those, kind of like salt, one of those things that just sneaks in everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned sodas, especially when we're drinking sodas or juices or different types of drinks um, our coffee creamers are and I do think you know there is some value to like maybe tracking Mm -hmm. you know again it's not it's not something that is sustainable forever but sometimes I tell patients use one of the like a free app that you can sort of log your food and calorie intake for a month yep not because it's the end-all be-all but because it's educational right like sometimes we are just putting in like maybe we're our serving site we don't realize that we're eating three servings instead of one serving Mm -hmm. of a snack or something like that. And so I think it is educational to look at the labels on your food um, as a starting point for a lot of people too. One more question about sugar, Um, the artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. uh, I hear that that's probably not always a great option either. I think there's mixed science. I mean, I think the theory about artificial sweeteners is that it, it gets sort of our brains and our system our stomachs to crave sweets which maybe is is um not in the long run good at the same time it is calorie free so you know if i'm comparing a diet soda to a regular soda i'm going to recommend a diet soda every time i don't Mm -hmm. think there's enough information out there for me to recommend that you drink the sugary soda over the diet soda. sure water would be better probably water is better yeah yeah (laughs) yeah All right, so be careful with some of those as well. Well, it is time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address and get your name entered into our monthly drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books. 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Did you know that someone in the United States has a heart attack every 40 seconds? A heart attack happens when a part of the heart muscle doesn't get enough blood. You might hear a heart attack called an MI, or myocardial infarction. The more time that passes without treatment to restore blood flow, the greater the damage to the heart muscle. If you have pain in your chest, call for help. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605 692 1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address and get your name entered into our monthly drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books. 605-692-1430. All right, Dr. Evans, our next question is, Mm -hmm. what is the treatment for spinal stenosis? Spinal stenosis. So what is spinal stenosis? This just means that there's a narrowing of the 
the canal that runs sort of through the middle of the spine where your spinal cord lives, okay? So your spine is vertebrae and there's kind of two components, the body and the spinous processes. And then there's, it kind of protects this canal where the spinal cord lives. So spinal stenosis is when that canal gets narrowed. It's usually because of bony abnormalities in the spine and it can happen at any level of the spine, but the most common would be the lumbar spine, so down low. Most people with lumbar spinal stenosis will have leg pain. They might not even have back pain. Um, but because that that um, canal is narrowed where those spinal nerves that it go to the legs go with certain positions, especially like standing erect, mm -hmm. um, patients will have aching pain down their legs is the mm -hmm. most how we see that present. It can be challenging. I mean, it is an anatomic problem. There is, so certainly some people do have surgery for spinal stenosis, and that really recommendation really depends on the patient themselves, where the problem is, what their surgical risk is. Um, but things short of that, some people will benefit from injections. Certainly some medications can help, medications that kind of dull the nerve pain. Um, and sometimes physical therapy and just modifying how how we do activities can help. This is more common as patients get older, and you know, of course, so is um, problems with surgery. So sometimes it's it can be challenging. Um, I just had a long discussion with a patient with this this problem yesterday about this disease. So um, it can be painful, and it be, can be activity limiting if it's if it's really bad. So. So the cause of it is maybe just wear and tear on the body and aging, yeah. or yeah. is it an accident? Or it, it could be either. I okay. mean, so the, the classic spinal stenosis is more of a sort of bony changes that go along with aging. Okay, um, but certainly the same type of problem can occur because of an injury or a disc rupturing into that space or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Very good. Mm -hmm. All right. And these questions keep rolling in. Thank you so much for your <laughs> questions. Um, Dr. Evans, what's involved in rotator cuff surgery and how much pain before a person should get it done? Great question. So rotator cuff injuries are a very common shoulder injury. They can happen from trauma or they can just happen from wear and tear. Um, so if you have a full tear of a rotator cuff, most of those, and those usually occur with trauma, those aren't usually wear and tear injuries, often will require surgery just to restore range of motion. The rotator cuff is tendons that surround the shoulder. And if you totally tear one or more of those tendons, it's gonna be hard to do full range of motion of your shoulder. The majority of them though are wear and tear. And so for those, we almost always recommend more conservative things first, because they do often improve without surgery. So that physical therapy is great for rotator cuff injuries. Some people will benefit from injections, but physical therapy across the board is, is almost always our first line recommendation. Um, and then, you know, if, if weeks or months go by and despite physical therapy, you're still having pain or not having full range of motion, then it might be time to talk to an orthopedic surgeon about the pros and cons of surgery. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. I've known, known a few people as well. Always weighing those costs yeah. and benefits and do I want and to again, do it or that not? That decision might be different for different people. I don't think right. there's a single answer to how bad does it have to be to have surgery. It right. depends on the patient and, and what they expect out of their arm and what their risks of surgery are. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Evans, next question. All right. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency mm -hmm. or a severe diarrhea. What do you know about it? Is it treated here in Brookings? 
Okay, so exoc true exocrine pancreatic sufficiency. I'll, how much time do I have, Laura? Uh, you have about two <laughs> minutes. A okay. minute, a minute. Or all so. right, okay. Let's let's fire through this. The pancreas has two parts. One, we all know, it makes insulin, and so that's the endocrine part of our pancreas. But it also has exocrine glands, so glands that produce um, products that go into our gut and help break down food. So exocrine pancreatic deficiency is when our pancreas doesn't make those enzymes and so a lot of people will have diarrhea because we're not uh, breaking down and absorbing fat mm. would be is the is the big thing about that um the the people who have true bad exocrine pancreatic dis insufficiency are usually people who have had injuries to their pancreas for some reason. So maybe they've had multiple episodes of pancreatitis for one reason or another, um, which is a, kind of another discussion entirely. Um, I, I would say that this there's a sort of a notion out there of exocrine pancreatic insufficiency in people who have never had a pancreatic injury. Mm. That's a little more challenging to actually get at if that's the real cause of pe people's symptoms or not. And, you know, people who've had these pancreatic in injuries, basically what we do is give them pancreatic enzymes that they take by mouth and they get okay. into the gut and help the problem to some degree. Um, I think if you're having chronic diarrhea and you wonder about this, those patients probably should see a gastroenterologist in most cases. Um, and, and we do not have gastroenterology here in Brookings, but certainly go talk to your primary care provider about it. There are certainly, there are many other causes of chronic diarrhea that we can sort of start to work up, but often we do involve, involve the specialists in these um, chronic diarrhea cases because it requires some more invasive diagnostics like a colonoscopy, for example. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for that information. And thank you to all of our callers today for giving us a call. And I'm excited to get you entered into our summer drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books. And we'll continue this again next week. So if you have questions, uh, join us again next week and get, give us a call and we'll get you entered into that drawing as well. Well, the time goes quickly. Yeah, when we have all those questions. questions. That was great. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc, most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week on Thursday, June 23rd, we will be rebroadcasting the show on gut health. Prairie Doc Kelly Evans Hollinger discusses gastrointestinal diseases, treatments, and causes with Dr. Christina Hill Jensen of Avera Medical Group Gastroenterology and Dr. Teresa Wee with Avera Medical Group Brookings. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB Television to learn more. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group. Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. <laughs> <laughs>